Well, hey, Bible Love listeners, so glad to be back with you um, today and next week. We have the pleasure of hosting the Reverend Dr. Alexis Carter Thomas. Uh, Alexis, since the last time you were with us, that doctor part has come in and we will talk about that in just a minute. But the first thing I wanted to do is there is a prayer um, in the Book of Common Prayer for clergy and people. And Alexis has been a clergy member for a long time. But as we as she moves into this next role, as her Ph.D. um, is completed, I thought we would pray for you in this way. So almighty and everlasting God. For whom cometh every good and perfect gift, send down upon our bishops and other clergy and upon the congregations committed to their charge, the helpful spirit of thy grace, and that they may truly please thee, pour upon them the continual dew of thy blessing. Grant this, O Lord, for the honor of our advocate and mediator, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, Alexis, tell us what has changed for you in the last year. In the last year, well, this time last year, I was deep in research mode, and um, I was also adjunct professor, and so my life looked like a lot of reading and writing, and so I finished my doctor of ministry at Drew Theological in Madison, New Jersey, with a concentration in women's religious leadership. I had the gift of joining with a dynamic cohort of women clergy who really have been like sweet community to me in the season of COVID and transition. And so I really enjoyed um, our time together and learning together the collaboration that happened and having conversation partners or getting to read sermons for my colleagues who are serving in full-time roles who are preaching every week, getting to read their sermons. So it's been a gift, but yeah, I'm reading more. I'm still reading a lot, but I'm not writing papers and trying to synthesize or communicate it. I'm just reading for the joy of it. And so in the last year, I've spent more time gardening and on my porch. Well, in the last few months since graduation in May, I've spent more time gardening, time with family, and just doing a lot of reflection about how intense the last year was and getting to breathe and pray and discern next steps. So thank you. Thank you for the Well, I'm so proud of you. Um, Listeners, you know, Alexis is my very, very dear friend. It has been an honor and a privilege to walk with her through this as something that she wanted, but also something God has called her in to do, um, to receive this PhD. And um, I'm just really proud of you and so happy for you and excited to see where God calls you next, wherever Mm -hmm. that So what we're doing, listeners, is um, we have asked Alexis to talk to us. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I, if you live in Greenwood, I've got to give like a big shout out to this. So in the month of September, on Wednesday nights from 530 to 7, please join us at the Church of the Resurrection 
um, for dinner and for a conversation about the book of, Ele- of Ecclesiastes with Alexis. She's going to be our guest speaker, and I'm just thrilled about that. So what we thought we would do is kind of go um, one through seven um, and then eight through 12. So this is going to be a two-part series. You're going to get to hear from Alexis two weeks in a row. Yay, you listeners. Um And I'm excited about that. And of course, Dr. Tony did the overview. So it's always good to like hear different people's thoughts and perspectives on this. Um, You know, I think when it comes to Ecclesiastes, and I I know that Alexis will talk about this, you know, our mind goes right to chapter three and, and that verse that we know so well, a time for everything. But there's a lot more to this book of the Bible. So Alexis, help us think about this first. Verses or chapters one through seven. Thank you, Mary Balfour. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for the invitation. I love Bible love and I'm so glad it's still going because I was like one of the first guests early on. And I feel like that was somewhat like feels like a long time ago. And so thank you for the gift of getting to share with the people who entrust you to share um, these words. And so thank you. Ecclesiastes today. So I'm going to jump in. And since we have two weeks, we'll kind of move a little slower and get to go deeper into the passages. So thankful to Dr. Tony, who's doing the overview. There will be some overlap, but it's all good and good reminders because Ecclesiastes is a little different um, from other books of the Bible. It's found in what we call wisdom literature with Job and Proverbs. But what makes Ecclesiastes different is that it, it pushes back against what we know or early people knew as biblical wisdom. It's not your typical wisdom. Proverbs fits more the, the traditional wisdom. If this, then this. If you're righteous, then you will prosper. If fools, you know, folly, there will be destruction. Ecclesiastes, not quite the same. And so Ecclesiastes. The Hebrew name is Kohelet, which as someone who's taught Hebrew Bible, that's often how I refer to it. Kohelet is the preacher, and it's the word we see in Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher. Um, Kohelet, it comes from the verb kohal, to gather, to assemble. So it's preacher is, biblical scholars would say that's like a jump to more modern words, that preacher was not really the word in the early context they would have used, but it would have been someone like a council person, maybe someone from the assembly. And so Kohelet, as we talk, I will use, I will speak of Kohelet as the like chief person in the text who is doing the experiments, who is talking about um, his, his experiments with wisdom and life and um, vanity. And so Kohelet will be the actual person I will use. And then Ecclesiastes I will use as kind of the overarching piece of the book. So, yes, please jump in. So um, I like to use my grandmother's Bible, which is the good mm-hmm. news Bible, today's English version. And they use the word philosopher. Do you think that, I mean, I know these are all their own interpretations, but does that feel, I'm trying to think of a word, you know, teacher, prophet, philosopher. And so I just noticed they said the book of Ecclesiastes contains the thoughts of the philosopher. 
a man who reflected deeply mm. on how short and contradictory human life is with its mysterious injustice and fr- frustrations and concluded that life is useless. So I think the reason I'm asking that question is because we love that chapter three, but it actually has some stuff that's kind of sticky and hard. So do you think that word philosopher is a fit in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. No, good point, Mary Balfour. I think a lot of scholars would say that's closer. It's actually a better word than preacher. Um, based on what we know about philosophy and anyone who's had a philosophy class, it's that the kind of content of life, of existential life, of meaning, and whether it's the poetry of this text or the narratives, we get some philosophy about, you know, the the philosopher talking about the meaning of life or the meaninglessness of life. So some would say, yes, philosopher is a good translation of that um, term. So thank you. So we open the book with some poetry and we have some framing of poetry in the book. Part of how it's set up as Mary Balfour said, we'll just divide it into two weeks, but we have inclusio, we have some opening and ending and then some context in the middle that Kohelet, the philosopher or the teacher is sharing more about his exploits and his experiments. And so it's framed by this well-known kind of vanity of vanities. Um, I'm using the New Revised Standard Version today. The Son of David, that's actually a good place to start because I think it helps give context. And often when we see preacher, philosopher, teacher, Son of David, King in Jerusalem, most thoughts go to Solomon. There is debate about this. Some would say, Because of what we know about Solomon and this gift of wisdom, Ecclesiastes fits what Solomon might have done. The problem with that is this text is thought to be have written later, kind of post-exilic in the sense of like post-exile of Israelites and the Solomon's people and the people who came after him, the children's children, generations trying to make sense of their own religion and their God. And so it's thought to be later, but specifically there are some literary uh, devices in here and language that was not used early. That's closer to the Hellenistic or the Greek period. So it's thought to be, I'm not great at dating, but like third, fourth century um, BC. So like other books, it's thought that the writer used Solomon as used the name or used an allusion to Solomon to get, you know, the weight of the book and hope, but it made it into the canon, which is a lot of people, there's a lot of debate about there. debate about some books, but specifically this of because of its content, like it's not the most hopeful book. Uh, the tone is a cynical, a little bit satirical. And so there was a lot of debate of, is this scripture, you know, it's little different views of God and traditional wisdom. So isn't that always interesting to Alexis, like what actually is put in the canon, right? When it's not always these things of hope, you know, glass half full person over here, you know, it's interesting why the people who are putting together the Bible felt like this was important. But I do think it's, it's important to remember that life is not always sunshine and, you know, butterflies, that there are really tough moments. And so maybe that was part of 
you know, the, the thought, uh, when the cannon was being put together, you know? Yes. 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 There are really tough moments. And I do think I kind of find it intriguing and fascinating when there are pieces like this in the canon that push back against the traditional wisdom of biblical writers, but also the traditional wisdom of contemporary life. And I find Ecclesiastes actually some of Kohelet's words more in line probably with some of our contemporary ideas around like what comes from our lives. So the sense of vanity of vanities, verse two says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So we're going to get this idea of vanity, which isn't in our traditional sense, vanity often is associated with pride, where not so much in this sense. The The word vanity um, actually have a, it means similar to breath or vapor. So this fleeting, very fleeting reality. So not, not vanity in the sense of pride, but vanity I mean, can be associated with that. But more vanity, I want people to think about like vapor, this fleeting sense of life. That it's all vanity of vanities, all of vanity. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And it goes on in this poetic, poetic form to say in verse nine of chapter one, what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. And so we have this philosopher preacher saying like, I've noticed that their life is fleeting and what, what really do humans gain by their, by their labor, by their work? So th these are two key things. I think we get it vanity, the sense of it's meaningless vapor, you know, like emptiness. Some scholars would say to like toil. I want to hold those two key themes throughout the text. So life can be meaningless and toil. Like what do we get for our labor? What does it mean that generations toil and they come and go and we'll get later in the text where we find out Kohelet's like, and then someone else enjoys your toil. Like you work so hard and then like you don't even, you die and then you're forgotten. Like this is a huge overarching thing. So it's not just that life's a vapor, it doesn't matter. But it's like, let's look at life. You work really hard to accumulate things, read lots of books, get a new degree. And yet at the end of the day, I will die. I will return to dust. And these will be passed on. Alexis will be forgotten somewhere in the generations to come. Maybe someone will write about me in a history book. But the truth is like, Kohelet's like, it's all vain. What do you think about that, Mary Balfour? I'll pause there. I think I think it's true. Um Alan and our friend Janie talked about this uh, a little uh, when two weeks ago when I was gone and I was gone because my grandmother died. And, you know, when someone dies, we think a lot about their life in that moment, you know, and especially like you're writing a eulogy or you're writing a sermon, whatever. And so in that moment, you think about all the things they did, but then like life goes on. Right. And, and, and I even see this, like, in this grief group that we have at, at Resurrection, you know, people's mm -hmm. lives keep going and, like, the you're still missing this person that was really part of it. And so, like, do the people that life keeps going on, is that just vape? But, you know, I don't know. Is that just this sense of that's how life is? Or, I mean, I don't think people are, like, saying 
oh, they're gone. Let's just forget them. You know, I don't mean that, but I, I do think that's just how it goes. Right. And I said, so there is like some wisdom in that. I think of also like, how do we hold up this life we've had? How do we do the best we can? But also to know that we're just like a little small part of it. Like there's so much more that will come. It also makes me think about when we were in England and Scotland and touring all these cathedrals and thinking about all the people that built these cathedrals, knowing like they would never see the fruition of it. They were doing it for someone else. It wasn't about them. It was like, what can I do in my lifetime that will help not to be remembered, but to help the future, you know? Um, and I was really amazed by that, you know, to be building and doing something that you're never going to know what the outcome is, right? That takes a lot of strength and courage, you know? Um, I yes. wish, you know, and I don't know. It's just interesting. I've been thinking about life and death a lot with the death of my grandmother. And, you know, what what are the impressions we want to make? Or, or do we just want to be like, it, we had a life and it was good. And as the writer says, it's move on and that was a part of time, maybe, is a way to say that, you know? Yes. Yes to the small, the smallness of our, I think, perspective, right? Like, I read Ecclesiastes and I think like, ooh, this could be like feeling, um, what's the word? It, it could very much feel fatalistic or depressing of like, oh, this is all there is. But I, I think there's hope here, which we'll talk more about next week, but I think there's hope in the smallness of our life, the smallness of our lives and the ways that when we are intentional about living well, which we see much of our <laughs> New Testament text, right? About how that there's purpose. Yes. Yeah. There, there's that there's purpose in how we live now and that there, it is problematic to think about well, it doesn't matter. Well, poverty is just going to be here. You said we'll always have the poor, so why do something? Like, it's also problematic. But in Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, the text that we will read will show, Kohelet does not believe there is an afterlife. And so when there is not a hope of an afterlife, things can be pretty dim. <laughs> you know, life can be the sense of vapor of life is really short, whether someone's lived a few days or 99 years, right? Life feels so short in the perspective of eternity. And then when there isn't this thought of eternity or resurrection, then it feels even shorter, right? It's, it's it, like, if there, if I did not believe in this hope of resurrection, I would think like, yeah, it's all vanity. Like, what's the point? Well, and I think you make such a good point. I think we need to just stop there one second in the thought of like, remembering we are not to the resurrection yet. Like we haven't gotten to the cross to Jesus on, or as Dr. Tony likes to say, on this side of Jesus where we are, you know, and, and when this was written there, there was so much going on in life that, that there may not have felt like much hope, you know, can I get you to skip just for the interest of time? Cause I want to make sure we talk about this. 
to chapter three, because this is very famous to people, right? Songs have been written about it. I can't help but think about the movie Footloose when they were talking about dancing and, you know, the, everybody in the Bible was like, you shouldn't dance, you shouldn't dance. And this is yeah. the verse that Kevin, um, whatever his name is, uh, is fleeting. It's leaving my mind right now that he comes up and says, there's a time, there's a season, there's a time to dance, there's a time to um, mourn, there's a time to be joyful. So talk to me about this um, particular uh, yes. Okay. Let's keep it moving. I want to highlight at the end of one, what's really important is we have this opening and some would say it's the narrator and then Kohelet picks up at one twelve when we get to the I statement, the first person. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart. We have these experiments in chapter two. So which was one of my favorite parts, like chapter two opens. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And it goes on to what we call scholars call experiments. Like he's trying out things. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. Um, in verse six of chapter two, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me. And then what he gets at, at verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So the sense I've tried it. I indulged in the greatest things of life and the wickedness of life. I planted vineyards, gardens, parks. I had fruits, pools, all of these things. And I still arrived at, it's all vapor. It's yeah. all fleeting. There's nothing to come out of it even wisdom. So as we move to three, it looks at like, I mean, it's, it's the key, a key verse of 217. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. The sense of vanity and toil. We work. It doesn't really last. Right. And so Ends with he tried it. He tried it. It's not like he was just made these statements. He tried these things. Yes, which is a point, you know, a key point of the philosopher, right? Like I've I've tried these things and I've come back to tell you it's still like vanity and it's still like striving after wind, like chasing wind. Like sometimes that image helps me with Ecclesiastes. Like, I mean, if you saw someone outside running after the wind, I mean children do it, right? Like it's like the wind or these, but this little image in my Bible. It's like chasing oh. and it's got the man chasing after. So yes, I'll yeah. blow that up and put it in the show notes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. There's this sense of vanity. If you see people running outside and be like, I'm just chasing the wind. Well, it blows here. It blows there. So chapter two ends with verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give one who pleases God, only to give to one who pleases God. So, I mean, he he really gets at, like, whether someone's a sinner or righteous, there's the sense of, we get glimpses in the text of, like, God is blessing the righteous, but also, like, same end is really what he gets at eventually. Like, both are going to die. And if there is no one after life, I mean, who's to say living wicked or something? You know, he's like, I even tried this. I bought slaves. This also is vanity and a striving after win. 
chapter three, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven or every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant. So we see this, I think, uh, these, these kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's escaping me. A time to be born, a time to die. We see these like, um, the words escaping me, but these two uh, opposite things juxtaposed together of a time to be born, a time to die, a time to seek, a time to lose, to keep and cast away. And so this, you're right. These are the, when Ecclesiastes is quoted, quoted Mary Balfour, as you have said, it's often here. It's this kind of poetic part. It's either in chapter one, all is vanity, nothing new under the sun, or here, there's a time for these things, which is life, right? It goes back to what you said at the beginning about life isn't just filled with joy or life isn't just filled with love or silent. You know, there there's a time for hate. Life isn't just filled with peace. There's a time for war. There's a time for weeping and laughing. And so much that like even our understanding as life, I would push and the way of a philosopher that we can only appreciate what we consider good in light of knowing that there is an opposite, you know, these opposites. And I think this is why it's so important to read these chapters as a whole, because you get the bookmark of before, chapter, mm. you know, that he's tried these things. Life is vague. Then he goes into there's a time. Yes. And if you keep going in three, he starts talking about the injustices in the world. He talks, you know, all the things that are hard, but we love to pull the things that make us that we, we've talked about this before, the things we want to like needlepoint pin uh, pillows and put them on our, our couch, you know, the parts that feel good to us. And as you know, Alan and I are very committed to going through the parts that even feel hard, you know? So I think it's important to really be a part of the whole process and not just pulling the things that make us feel happy, you know, because yeah. if you read all of this, you'll only remember this, the verse eight verses of chapter three, you know, and, and it's really yes. context, you know, so. You're exactly right. The context, right. The sense of, as you're emphasizing, he has tried this. Kohelet has tried and saying, I did the things people have told me would bring me joy. I've tried to be fulfilled by life, yet I've discovered it's not. And I've discovered to the righteous and sinner, there is good and bad happening. And yet, unlike traditional wisdom, whether you are righteous, you don't just get prosperity and goodness and favor. And whether you are a sinner, you don't just get awful things and wickedness happening. You get some good in there too. And so in verse nine of chapter three, this is one of my favorite parts in the whole text, um, this section, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time, although also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And so this sense of like, um, interesting, like this, this idea of toil is showing up. And he's also mentioning, mentioning that God has put eternity, the sense of Olam in Hebrew forever and forever, because eternity in a Christian's mind is different from what this eternity it's, it's this idea of forever and ever. It's a strong, um, the strong meaning of this ongoing something 
something distant and something um, one writer says, um, who is it? John Collins, the scholar says, um, it's like primeval. It's like God has like put some of the earliest and some of the most distant things in our hearts. And yet we don't really know what God is doing. Like we don't really know why the sinners prosper at times and the righteous experience heartbreak and, you know, still have no, no long lasting thing from their toils. And so from dust to dust is the next section in the NRSV that starts in 16. Um, and that section ends with, I want to highlight a part here. That's a key part. 18, 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. Whether one is animal or human, Kohelet's like, I'm, I'm not seeing that. They both die. They eat. They live in community, maybe. They hunt. They die. And so as, as one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. It's all vapor, man and beast. What's, what's the advantage? All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and spirit of beast goes down to the earth. I saw that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot, who can bring to see what will be after him. Who can bring to see what will be after us? So Kohelet's saying, I tried it. I've seen it. There are these opposites, right? There are these like contrasts to life of embracing, a time to refrain, a time to cast stones and gather. And so he goes on to say at the opening of four, again, I saw all the oppressions. This, this really sticks out to me as we move into four, the sense of evil that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them on the side of their oppressors there was power and there was no one to comfort them and i thought that the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are under the sun there's nothing new there is goodness and yet evil and animal and beast both die and here we are yeah there's Advice there in four to two are better than one, right? Um, often quoted in verse nine, two are better than one. And if one falls, has a fellow to pick him up, her up, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And yet we end chapter four saying, surely this is also vanity and a striving after wind. Back to the wind. Back to the wind. It's all chasing wind. It's all chasing even if you have someone there to strive with you and pick you up, he's saying, I've, I've still tried it. Oppressions, not, not good. I just saw vanity under the sun. Fear God. Fear God. We're going to move into five as we wrap up here. Fear God. Don't want to go with deep because I want to make sure we get to seven and get back to some poetry here. Um, but I think what's interesting in five is that even like fearing God in the sense of wisdom and folly still brings about, still brings about vanity, that even the wisdom is not, it, it might be esteemed, but it's not, um, it's not, what's the word? There isn't lasting, just because someone is wise or just because someone has wealth. That's also what we're getting at, um, wealth and wisdom, that it doesn't mean that because one has those things, possesses those things, that their end is better. They return to the dust, 
as we were told in chapter four. Let's look at verse five, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has the owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sweet, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. We're still, things still happening, life, riches, all of this. But where do we get at the end of chapter five? We're, we're still chasing when. Um, where does it say? Verse 16. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind, working for the wind? You're still striving for the wind. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Well, wealth doesn't save one from the hardship of life. Wealth. Um, we're going to keep moving. Mary Balfour, do you want to pause there? Those a lot. Out. So again, images. The first one is an image of a man sleeping. A working man at least can get a good night's sleep. And the other one is a rich man stays awake worrying. So it's got these little images that are there. Yeah. And sometimes that's helpful. Yeah. Let's finish up six and seven and then we'll get, we'll, okay. we'll get on. We'll go to next week after that. Okay. Well, let's look at six here. Um, Kohelet continues. Opens with chapter six. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing all of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he is also, he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So we see this repetitive part at the end of four um, or middle of four, where he's like the dead, the dead are fortunate. And now he's getting at, you know, those who are not born are fortunate. And he even like makes this jump to say those who are still born, he's really driving home in this cynical way that like this life can be wretched. He's talking about, I've seen oppressions, right? He's, he's bought slaves. He's seen injustice. He's seen wealth that is supposed to bring people happiness and fulfillment. Doesn't. And he sees that it leads to vanity and grievous evil. And so verse seven, a key, a key part there of chapter six, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. That's really the bottom line there of what we're getting at, at five and six, right? Um, I said wisdom earlier. I was thinking about moving to seven. We we're talking about wealth. So I think about my two W's, wealth and wisdom. The things that are supposed to like make for a good life, especially for those who follow God, there were signs of blessings, right? In this, in this context, like wealth was the sign that God had blessed, not just in Hebrew culture, but like in surrounding ancient Near East culture, wealth was a sign of blessing from the gods. And so to say that, to push back and say that because one has wealth, like one who has wealth, appetite is not satisfied and there is still greedy evil. One, because we could talk about even in our own nation, like there is lots of wealth, but doesn't mean that people are like 
than Heart of the Righteous, right? Like the proliferation of lots of things in the world and capitalism in ways sometimes are built on the backs of people where greediest evil is happening. And and vanity. It's not like people are storing up treasures in heaven or saying like, you know, even the things I'm going to have another jewel in my crown because I did this. Ah, Kohelet would say like, "Mm, that's not really true. Um, Let's look at seven. Let's move to the wisdom. So we have some wealth. We have animals, humans, or the beast are all the same. The end is the same. And now as three and three, Mary Balfour, we talk about the contrast of like life happenings, key things of life and creation and movement. We now move to this contrast of wisdom and foolishness. Some key verses there of seven, one, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. Not as hopeful here. Verse three, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Verse nine, thoughts about life, right? So it's like bookend, you know, about where patience is better than pride. Um, You know, all of those. But then again, this still this very theme of chasing the wind. My life has been useless but in it, I've seen everything, you know? And, and so to me, it's, it's, I think this is a good way to finish this episode is like, is yes, there feels like a lot of unhope, no hope, you know, and all of that. But I feel like there's a lot of like raw truth in this as well. Always reminding us that we are not to Jesus yet. But there's also a lot of raw, raw truth. And when you're chasing that wind, you sometimes find that truth. Mm. Yeah. You run into the like, this is van. Like, is this what I'm living for? Is this what I'm saving for? A good way to end seven, verse 16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold, not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. But it goes on to say, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in the city. Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. So the sense like even the righteous can be sinful and yet their end is still the same. And goes back to the kind of idea of forever and ever. In verse 24, that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, which we could spend all day on this next part. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Why, why was, was why was that a thing? Okay. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I have found, says the preacher, philosopher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has taught repeatedly. But I have not found one man among a thousand. I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Well, interesting here. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have thought many thought out many schemes. 
Interesting, interesting way to conclude here. I've got to read what Mon, how Mon concludes. It's just a different interpretation. Yeah, tell me. This is all that I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Yes. So, oh, that's so good. I'm going to stop us. Listeners, as oh, always, we love you, but most importantly, God does. Come back next week for more with Alexis.